Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 3, Episode 3, Fair Game. And Carrie just told me that she has six pages of notes. Six and a half. Six and a half pages of notes. It's going to be a long one, you guys. <laughs> this might be a long one. Well, they're, they're, this is kind of an important big episode and a lot kind of happens here, so. It is. You know. So many things. Would you like to start telling us the things? Sure. Well, before we get into this episode, a little bit of news. Stargate conventions are back. Um, If you are aware of Creation Entertainment, they have the Salute to Stargate. It is coming back to the Chicago area this summer from June 10th to the 12th at the Weston O'Hare in Rosemont, Chicago, or well, Rosemont, Illinois. Um, You can find out more at creationent.com. Um, so far, the guests announced are just announced today. We have Joe Flanagan from Stargate Atlantis coming along with uh, Michael Shanks, Amanda Tapping, Terrell Rothery, Rachel Luttrell, Gary Jones, David Nickel, Dan Payne, and Alex Zahara. Yay! So yeah. dust off your SG wear and any yeah. sort of body parts you want autographed. <laughs> I don't think they allow that anymore anymore what did no. you do nothing they just don't, <laughs> they just don't do that anymore you know that's because of somebody <laughs> multiple people probably lots of Possibly. people I'm sure yeah yeah <laughs> uh, if you've never been to one they're lots of fun um I I go a lot because they're my neck of the woods so it's a the good time fan- the nerdery is fantastic the people watching is amazing yes you make friends that you never even knew you needed Yep. It's a good time. Good time had by all. So, Mm -hmm. yes. Um, Anyway, so, but let's get into this week's episode, Fair Game. It originally aired on July 9th, 1999. It was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Barton Wood. And in this episode, the Asgard aid Earth in negotiating a non-aggression treaty with the Gould System Lords. So... It's a pretty straightforward were summary. Me, were you but... waiting for me to be like, oh, da, da, da. yes, you um... must react to the summary, Rachel. Come on, that's what we do. I read Hashtag... the summary and then you react. I was trying a social experiment today to see what happened. If nothing happens, then I just sit here like an idiot waiting for you to say something. <laughs> All right, here we go. <gasps> no. Yes. Um. Okay, so uh, we open in the gate room where we see everyone in their dress blues and Hammond is standing on a podium sort of up at the top of the ramp along with sort of SG-1 along the side and he introduces Arthur Sims, Secretary of Defense. And this is just a little fun fact. Um, Arthur Sims, the actor, is named Michael David Sims. That's funny. <laughs> so the same last name as this character. You just thought that was like, oh, that's that doesn't really happen a lot. So especially with a name like Sims, which isn't really like Smith or anything. I was well, like, that's, that's interesting. So mm. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Do you find it weird that the scene is taking place at the Stargate? Yeah, that I mean, I didn't, but then you know, I started reading through sort of like you know message boards and things, and people are like what if there's an incoming wormhole? Like, they would just all be blasted away, like, swallowed by yeah. the kawoosh. I was like, oh, that's yeah. kind of a good point. They should at least have the iris clothes. Although I know why they didn't, because the iris is a CG effect, and that would be a lot of CG and cost a lot of money. So, 
like I know why production wise they didn't do it, but like if they're going to be there, they should at least have the iris closed for safety's sake. Yeah, it it just seemed like the oddest place to have a ceremony. You think in that whole huge mountain they would have had some sort of bigger conference room type place? I don't, I don't know. It's like inside a mountain. Space is kind of at a premium, so there's probably not many large spaces, and the largest space they have is taken up by the gate, so. You don't think they have a conference room anywhere in there? Not that can hold everybody. Hmm. But there weren't that many people in the gate room. Yeah. I don't know. But this is, you know, the Stargate program, Sony Ceremonies, should be with the Stargate, I think. I'm okay with it. Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Sims comes up to speak and gives a very short but lovely speech congratulating them on the defeat of Hathor and the rescue of SG-1. And he's uh, he's actually kind of glad that the president couldn't be there because that means that he gets to meet everybody and congratulate them in person because he, like, awaits their mission reports with, like, bated breath of, like, a child waiting for his, like, bedtime story or something. And so he was – I think he's a nice guy. I like this Sims person. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah. Uh, Hammond then then steps back up to the podium and has one more piece of business before he dismisses everybody and says, uh, reads from a sheet of paper, from the Vice Chief of Staff of the Air Force, in recognition of Captain Samantha Carter's outstanding work, I hereby authorize her immediate promotion to the rank of Major. Yay! Yay! Also, did she look surprised? Yes. I would have thought they would have told her about that at a time. Um, I don't know what the protocol is for that, but she did not seem aware that this was happening. I don't, so. Yeah, I I would have thought they would have told her ahead of time that was happening. I'm like, congratulations, I'm recommending you for promotion. Instead of just like, surprise, you're more awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I knew. That's I could probably could have looked that up, maybe mm-hmm. see if there's anything out there. But then but, would have had yeah. seven pages of notes. Then would have had seven pages of notes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so a very surprised-looking Sam sort of steps forward, and then Hammond continues, uh, the United States Air Force has recognized that you have fulfilled tasks and duties well beyond the responsibility of captain. It is with great pleasure that I bestow upon you the responsibilities, the respect, and the rank of major. And he and Jack are, like, affixing her lapels with the new um, whatever the symbol is for major on the... The la- not the lapel, but the little shoulder strappy things. I know those have epaulets. Maybe? Yeah. Is that it? Epaulette? Maybe. Something like that? Yep. I don't know. Good. Yeah. Um, so Hammond then asked Jack to say a few words. And in one of the best jokes, visual gags, whatever, that like Stargate has like ever done, Jack steps up to the podium and says, normally I'm a man of very few words before being beamed away. <laughs> I actually did laugh at that. I thought it was really funny. It is. It's, oh my God, it's so good. Um, So they all, everybody kind of just stares at where Jack was standing for a second going, what the hell just happened before him and calls code nine. Somebody slaps the button on the wall. Lights start flashing, alarms start sounding. And we then cut to an Asgard ship where Jack is finishing his speech. And we get then another flash of light as an Asgard is beamed onto the ship with him. And this is Thor. I had the thought that when Jack starts his speech, gets beamed, and then once you hear him again, he's saying he 
something in conclusion or like and that's yeah. all like i feel like that was actually going to be his entire speech normally i'm a normally i'm a man of very few words and in conclusion thank you all for coming or whatever yes. it was because <laughs> otherwise it means he would have been giving his entire speech either in transit or in darkness in a room yeah okay so it says so normally i'm a, I'm a man of very few words blah 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 and in conclusion, I'd like to say, and then he kind of trails off as he realizes he's not on Earth anymore. Yeah. So I feel like that's what his entire speech would have been. That we, So you don't think we missed anything during no. Jack's transit? Okay. No. Okay. I could buy that. It's very so. Jack O'Neill in my brain. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can buy that. Mm-hmm. My question about this is, so Jack is beamed to like the bridge of the ship, which is empty. And then Thor gets beamed onto the bridge. Why, why wasn't Thor already there? Like, where was he that he, was he like beamed from another part of the ship to the bridge? Was he on yeah, a I feel different? Like he was in, I feel like he was in another room. Was he like operating the beam transporter himself and then beamed himself to the bridge? Is he like the only one on that ship? I just kind of thought it was weird that there wasn't, that Thor wasn't there waiting for Jack, you know? That is weird. It's, it was a little weird for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, so one last fun fact here. This is the very first episode where Thor is voiced by none other than Michael Shanks. Ah. So he starts pulling double duty in this episode. So do we know why there was a transition? No. We're, we're just going to go with Michael was like, I'll do it. Uh, or possibly the, or possibly the guy who did Thor before wasn't available and they were like, can you do it? And he was like, sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, it the voice doesn't sound that different from before. Right. So, yeah. It just may have been that the guy wasn't available. So, mm-hmm. you know. And then they were like, hey, why don't you just keep going? Yep. So, nice. so from there we then go to the opening credits. So... Insert interpretive dance. Yes. Um, So it turns out that the system lords are not really happy about SG-1 killing Hathor and have decided to launch an attack on Earth because they now view Earth as a threat. And Jack is like, kind of like, really? Us? We're just, why? Like, they should be thinking us that we got rid of Hathor. She was going to be a pain in their butt. Why do they want to attack? I thought she was hiding. No? Yeah. She was. So how does everybody A, know she's alive, and B, know that she's dead? (laughs) I mean, that's a very good question. Maybe (laughs) one of her Jaffa defected back to where she stole them from? Hmm. Or somebody saw her taking Jaffa and reported back? No. I know that. Um... So, yeah, so Jack's like, I don't really know why, but if they do launch an attack, it would be like a hundred times more powerful than the attack that Apophis attempted. So Thor is here to offer the Asgard's assistance. And Jack is like, great, where's all your ships? And Thor is like, well, unfortunately, they're not really available. But what we would like to do is attempt to negotiate with the system lords to have Earth included in the Protected Planets Treaty. And Jack's like, I'd prefer ships, but that sounds like a great deal, too. That's where we are, trying to get Earth into the Protected Planets Treaty. Yeah, sounds good. Yes. Mm -hmm. So back uh, in the briefing room, Jack is giving SG-1, Hammond, and Sims a rundown of what happened. And Hammond's like a little unsure about how much they can really 
trust the Asgard with this and why the Gould would even agree to something like this in the first place. And Daniel's like, well, the Asgard are probably offering them something in return. That's how negotiations work, Hammond. And he's like, so, well, what happens if the summit fails? Um, basically, total annihilation. Is yeah. it's, it's either we, we negotiate in, in the summit to be included in the treaty, or they just blast Earth to pieces. So Less good. Less good, yes, very much. And the president and Hammond, it seems like, are both a little concerned, really, about the politics involved, because they don't know, really what the situation is between the Asgard and the system lords. And can we really trust that the Asgard have our best interest at heart? And like, just sort of what are the optics of this whole thing? And then, hey, there's Thor beaming himself into our uh, briefing room. So uh, I love the Ham- look on Hammond's face. He's like, <laughs> do we need to what? call security? What, what is, is it? Yeah. Uh, and so Jack's like, no, it's cool. This is Thor. Thor, Tilt, Hammond. Uh, and according to Thor, good news. The system lords have agreed to the negotiation, which that was fast because it seems like it's been about five minutes since Jack left Thor on the ship. So apparently communication is a lot quicker between like the system lord and the Asgard than we have. And um, they're going to be here in four days. And Jack has been chosen to speak for the people of Earth. <laughs> And Jack's like, are you sure? Because there's this Daniel guy and he's like so much better at this kind of stuff and like very educated and articulate and like knows so many languages. And they're like, no, it's you. Okay. okay. So um, they're going to Daniel, say, I would have been pissed. <laughs> I know. Like that's his entire job is like, culture negotiations. This is what I do. It's like his entire, entire job. Yeah. But nope. he's too busy being Thor to negotiate with Thor. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, so Thor's going to send some additional instructions and then he just beams himself off. So here we go. Right. All right. Cool. It's on. Um, so we cut to sometime later and Daniel is giving a sort of lecture, if you will, on on the three system lords that are to be expected at this negotiation, and they are Cronus, you, and Nirti. According to Tilk, Cronus is the most powerful of the system lords and the one who banished Sokar. He was also one of Apophis's mortal enemies, which is probably why they didn't attack Earth with Apophis, because Cronus is sort of like the head honcho and enemies with Apophis, so he's just going to let Apophis do what he wants. And then we get an interesting thing from Tilk where he says, the system lords reluctantly banded together to defend Gould territory against outside threats such as the Asgard and the Ritu. However, they still battle amongst themselves for control of individual domains. As much as they're, they're sort of like occasionally common threats, for the most part, they just constantly fight amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. So we then have you, me, Jack jokes, uh, 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 so many you jokes in this, yeah. in this episode. Ugh. Um, apparently, Yu was not like technically a god, but is apparently one of China's earliest emperors. He was supposed to have sprung forth from the body of a dragon and began the first recorded dynasty, which had many actual like positive advancements of first society. Um, so he wasn't like absolutely horrible. Did a lot of good things. Um, And he is apparently the most likely to be in favor of including Earth in the treaty because he doesn't really care about this area of, like, space. And then we have Nirti, 
who uh, Nearty is the ghoul that is responsible for the extermination of Cassandra's people and four members of the SGC. Mm, if you remember good. that episode. So mm -hmm. she's, she's not really awesome. We don't, we really don't like her. No. Um, there's apparently not much known about her from an earth perspective, but early Hindu references call her a destructive goddess of darkness. Ew. Um, would you like some additional fun facts about Cronus, you and Nearty that I was able to find in my Google searching? Oh man, so much. Tell me. Okay. Tell me all the uh, things. Okay, so Cronus is the son of Uranus, Heaven, and Gaia, Earth, and is the youngest of the 12 Titans. For those people that care about these things, his Roman counterpart, counterpart is Saturn. So uh -huh. if, you okay. know, if you're familiar with Saturn, Cronus is the other side of that. Um, mm -hmm. Which whenever I hear Saturn, I always just think the, 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 that Goya painting of Saturn devouring his sons. Have you ever seen that? No. Okay. There, yeah, I won't get into it. There. I, can it tell you, I can tell you about it afterwards. There's a very interesting story about it. Um, okay. In art, Cronus is depicted as an old man holding an implement of some kind, which was probably originally a sickle, as he's connected with like agriculture. But later arcs, later artworks have changed this to a curved sword rather than just a sickle. Um, he was advised by his mother to castrate his father, thus separating Earth from heaven. And he then became the king of the Titans and took his sister Rhea as his consort. And she gave birth to Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon, whom he ate as his mother prophesied that he would be overthrown by his own child. Hence also the Saturn devouring his son art. Um, yeah. But when Zeus was born, because Zeus is also one of Cronus's children, Rhea hid him in Crete and tricked Cronus into eating a stone instead. So Zeus grew up, forced Cronus to like regurgitate his siblings, and then defeated Cronus in war. And after that defeat, depending on which story you, you believe, um, Cronus either became a prisoner in Tartarus or a king in Elysium. And Elysium is apparently the place where mortals go after they've been granted immortality by gods because of, you know, favors and good deeds and stuff um so we now move on to lord you me no you <laughs> sorry uh, lord sorry. um yeah. so apparently one of the main things that you did was actually manage to get um flood control in place for like the major rivers in china um and he established the Sha dynasty which is like the start of dynastic rule in china and um his reign actually predates the written record in China. So we don't actually see any writings that mention him by name until the Western Shu period, which is 1045 to 771 BC, which is about like a thousand years after the Shah dynasty. And um, he's one of the few monarchs to be posthumous, posthumously honored as the great. So he is actually you the great in oh. Chinese record. Um, so as far as the flood control thing, um, his father was the one who was first tasked with doing that, but didn't have any luck with like dams and dikes and the usual sort of flood control measures. So what you did was actually divert floodwaters into fields using various irrigation canals. So he managed to like get water to the fields so crops could grow and stuff and then prevented the rivers from overflowing and yay, food and stuff. Mm, nice. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so near tea. Uh, is a Hindu goddess personifying death, decay, and sorrows. 
In some Hindu scriptures, Nirti is associated with Adharma or Adharma. Ad, Adharma, because I think there's Dharma and then like Adharma. Okay. Um, so, you know, Dharma is all the good stuff. Adharma is things like betrayal and disharmony and evil and vice and virtues and, you know, sins and bad things. This term Nirti was also used in Vedic texts to indicate a realm of non-existence and absolute darkness, which threatened to consume those who failed in their duties to sacrifice and procreate. Uh, in Nirti, there was no light, no food, and no children, none of the necessary elements of Vedic life and ritual. Uh, Nirti is also mentioned in the hymns of the Rigveda, mostly to seek protection from her or imploring for her during a possible departure. In later texts, she's often mentioned as the wife of Adharma, um, because there's also, you know, a personification of Adharma as a person, god um, type entity, uh, and is an important part of nature for people who dwell in forests and is the mother of the three Rakshas, uh, Mrityu, death, Baya, fear, and Mahabaya, which is terror, who were collectively referred to as the Nairirta. Other texts have her as the daughter of Adharma. And in these texts, she gave birth to her, she married her brother and gave birth to Naraka, which is the personification of hell. Nirti's kind of evil and dark and yeah. All bad things. All bad things. Yeah. So, there you go. And the That's worst thing was married her brother. Yeah. Well, all the gods did that. Cronus married his yeah. sister, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. so at the end of daniel's briefing sam's like we're just gonna let them walk in here like these are they're ghouls they're not good people we're just gonna let them walk in here in here and hammond's like i mean i don't like it either but we don't really have a choice and so hammond then asks tilk to be the liaison to the ghoul which fuck no tilk's not doing that like like really hammond you thought tilk would be going to would be the best choice to serve the ghouls and Daniel's like I'll see to their petty needs it's fine <laughs> so I do I do love that cut what does what does Teal say I will not see to the petty needs of the ghouls something yeah him. after giving a long hell no fuck you speech yeah I will not yeah and I love how yeah. Daniel's just like I will see to their petty I'll needs. see to the petty yeah I I will however not see to the petty needs of these ghouls yeah yes love it I'll see to the petty needs of the ghouls sir yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> So one of the other major thing that they need to take care of is that uh, one of the conditions of the summit is that there are no weapons allowed of any kind on the base during the like period of negotiations. And uh, Jack does not like the sound of that, uh, but those are the rules according to the Asgard. So the base has been sealed off at the surface and the secretary of defense is going to stick around to sort of be the voice for the president during this time. So everybody has their specific instructions and duties for the visit. So it's time to get to work and get everything ready because they're going to be here in four days. This is also one of those occasions where I'm like, they did not think to involve anyone internationally either. They're just like keeping it, keeping it local. Yep. Like, okay. I'm sure that was the best decision. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, so we cut to Sam, who's with an airman, who's clearing out, like, the gold weapons that they have, and he takes, uh, like, the hand device and another small, um, the sort of smaller, the, the thing that, the, that the Ashrak hunter dude was using, or no, the Ashrak, who was hunting Jolinar, was using 
takes that, but they keep the healing device because it's a healing device. It's not a weapon. So they're going to keep the healing device in the safe is the hang a lantern on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tilk, however, will not give up his staff weapon. And like Hammond and Jack run into Tilk and an airman in the hall and Tilk's like, I know who these ghouls are. I'm not giving up my weapon. Like, the, no. And Hammond's like, the ghouls can't bring weapons either. It's not just us. Like, nobody can have weapons here. And unfortunately, it's, like, not optional. If there are weapons, there will be no treaty. If there's no treaty, then we get, like, 100 ghouls and motherships in orbit. So, sorry, Tilk. It's gotta go. So, yep. reluctantly, Tilk gives it up. So, the time has come. The walrus said to talk of many things. But the ghouls are on their way. Here we go. Yay. Yay. So, you know, I look up, like, goofs and stuff. And um, there, there's one. And then one I need to get your opinion on. Because I don't think okay. it's a goof. A bunch of people think it's a goof. I don't think it is a goof. So the first goof is there's just, like, stock footage of every time, you know, there's an incoming wormhole. A rash of soldiers runs the gate room just in case yeah. it's anything bad. But there's no weapons allowed on base. It's like, that's just like a stock shot from like, you know, episode one that gets, you know, recycled over right. and over again, which, yeah, nope. Oops. So then the other thing that a lot of people seem to think is a goof is that when the seventh Chevron locks, it locks on the Earth point of origin. But they're not coming from Earth. So why is it lock on that? Because it's the point of origin box, if you will. Like, we know they're not coming from Earth. But our gate doesn't have every other point of origin for every other planet because there's 38 constellations and then the 39th symbol is the point of origin. Every gate is like that. So the incoming gate has to dial the point of origin, which is just the point of origin for that gate. But it has to be that as the seventh symbol for, you know, when the gate manually spins. Do you get what I mean? Like the... the, the Earth point of origin is just a placeholder for the point of origin for incoming gates, for incoming wormholes. I do. You know what? I It makes me, I never thought about it before. It makes me want to go see what they do <laughs> for other planets. Well, we never see off-world planets dialing in. We always just see it after the wormhole. We always dial out, walk through from Earth, and then we're on the other planet. We're never on the other planet as the gate is dialed. Man, I don't know. I've never thought about that before. But also the other gates don't spin. The Earth is the only gate that spins when it dials. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm. That's right. We've talked about that before. Yep. Which is funny. It is. Like, so why why do any of them spin if they all have DHDs? (laughs) Now now that I think about it, why does the gate spin at all? Like, I don't know. If the gate doesn't need to spin, why did they make it to make it? Spin. <laughs> Why was it ever made know. to spin if it doesn't spin? Because it should spin. If it has to spin to dial, then it should have to spin to dial, even if you have a DHD, right? It should, because it's not like the chevrons move no. lock on the places. It makes more sense for the spinny thing to spin until it gets to the chevron. The chevron. But does oh that mean God. like the? But does that mean like the chevrons? Dick and the rest of the thing keeps going? I don't... Oh, my God. Now my brain... I've just broken my brain. Why did I never think about this before? How has this never come up before? I don't know. Gates should always need to spin to get the right 
constellation then, to the right chevron in order to be like, this is symbol number one, lock. Yeah, and then what happens when it locks and the rest of it keeps going? Does the thing like separate and come out and stay there while the rest of it keeps going? No. It's just like well, this. Then how like, does the rest of it keep spinning while it's locked? Okay, so I mean, at lock in that it's recognized. Like symbol number one has been recognized and is encoded in the gate's memory as point one of the route. Okay, like a rotary dial. Yes. Okay. Yep. I still maintain they all need to spin though. They do. Oh no. This is going to bug me for the rest of my life. Thanks. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Okay. Well, we can't talk about that. I could talk, apparently I could talk about that all night now, but we're not going to because we don't have the time. So, okay. uh, so uh, here they come. Here come the gold. We have Ron Halder as Cronus, Vince Cristejo as you, and Jacqueline Samuda as Nearty. And fun fact... Jacqueline mm-hmm. is actually a story editor on SG-1. Oh. So, and this is her first on-screen appearance as Near T. And she actually wrote the story for the season six episode, Metamorphosis. Oh, which funny. Which we'll get there and you'll, it makes a lot of sense that she wrote that. So, but. So how did she end away. up on camera? I don't, I could not find that out. No. I don't, I don't know if she was just like, hey, I think I could be here and she auditioned. And like, I don't, I don't know, unfortunately. Or they were just like, crap, our actor dropped out. Hey, you. Maybe. One of those, you know, fabulous discovery stories in Hollywood that they tell you all the time where someone's magically like, hey, kid, you've got the look. Go on camera now. Possibly. I don't know, unfortunately. Uh, So uh, Daniel is showing Cronus his accommodations, which, of course, are not up to Gould standards. I mean, it's fancy. I mean, there's actual like fire, like lighting, little fire pits in the room. There's like beautiful drapery everywhere. I think they did a very nice job of, you know, turning the gray cell block SGC accommodations into a fancy little room. But Cronus is like, no, this won't do. No. But they had to know that, like, anything they were going to set up oh, in yeah. a gray cell block, they, it was just not going to work. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm sure they're, they're like, well, this is the best we can do. It's not going to be great. But, yeah. But they are then interrupted by some yelling out in the hall. And first things first, ah, it's Duke Jolva. And uh, he, he and Cronus exchanged some words in Gould, which I unfortunately could not find any translations for. But it's. They, they they are not happy to see each other. I can at least get that much out of this conversation. Hmm. And also they found the hidden surveillance devices. And Daniel's like, Cause they, they weren't hidden. Like those are security cameras. They're for like your safety. They're not for spying. How did they know what they were? Yeah, I don't know. How I do they know what surveillance know. cameras look like? I don't, they don't know. Their communication devices are like balls. I know. Why would they think a white... <laughs> box in the corner of the ceiling i mean maybe just its position seems to sort of signal hey your camera maybe i don't know um but okay so daniel's gonna see what they can do about like taking the cameras out of the rooms but the cameras will be like they're gonna stay in the hallways that's like the best they can do is get them out of the rooms but they're staying in the halls and then there's another kind of rather tense exchange between cronus and tilk and then they everybody heads off for now. 
And we get Tilk and Daniel sort of heading back to the briefing room and Daniel's like, hey, so what was that with Cronus? And Tilk was just like, oh, you know, Poffus and Cronus enemies is fine. And Daniel's like, eh, it's even a little more personal than that. So apparently when Tilk was a child, his father was the first prime of Cronus. And he was at one time ordered to attack a much more powerful Gould. And he lost that battle, obviously. And so Cronus killed Tilk's father for failing his mission. And Tilk and his mother then fled to Chulak, where he vowed to become powerful enough so he could be the first prime of Apophis, Cronus's sworn enemy. Uh, that that might have been useful information to know before right now, Tilk. Yes. <laughs> like, it would have been nice for that to be disclosed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Hammond then comes in and Tilk and Daniel sort of give him the rundown about taking the cameras out of the room and Hammond is like, what? And he's like, it's, this is what we got to do. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's okay. So still not happy, but this is where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack is getting ready for the summit to begin when Sam approaches to wish him luck. And she also mentioned that she's pretty sure Cronus is the one who sent the Ashrak after Jolinar. So yeah, not, not, another little yikes kind of twist in the works Fun here. Fact. Fun yeah. fact. That guy tried to kill me. Um, uh, and so succeeded. Then, huh? And succeeded. Oh yeah, he did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. That's not great. So Daniel then shows the system lords into the conference room and Jack greets them. Jack greets them and like sort of like, you know, pushes their chairs in for them, trying to be all, you know, nice and diplomatic and gentlemanly. And it's very awkward. And he's like, well, I guess we'll just wait for Thor. And oh, yay, here he is. So Thor, which how does Thor, did Thor get like a blueprint of the SGC? Like, how does he know? Where to exactly beam to. where to beam to or exactly. beam out of. Yes. How does he know he's not beaming like onto a person? I don't know. Maybe they have sensors. I don't know. That's a really good point. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so Thor offers his greetings on behalf of the Asgard High Council. And he's like, we're ready to hear the proposal of adding Earth to the treaty. And the other starts speaking in Gould. And Jack is like, hey, I thought we were all going to speak English. And this just makes everybody's like super angry and like Cronus storms out followed by near T and you and Jack's like, what I do? Like I, I said five words, like what ha- what happened? Why are they storming out already? And according to Thor, Jack insulted them by speaking out of turn. And he's like, I just asked a question. And Thor's like, don't worry. This is like par for the course. This is how these negotiations go. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Daniel comes in and is concerned about them storming out. And Jack's like, it's fine. And so Jack's like, hey, Thor, why did you guys let these ghouls, like, get this much power in the galaxy? Like, if you have your big ships and weapons, like, why didn't you just, like, take care of things? Which, I mean, very valid question. Very good. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and Thor's like, well, apparently there's, like, a far worse enemy in their own galaxy that they have to worry about. And it's, like, worse than the ghouls. Cough. <clears throat> replicators. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> And basically, and like, what? yeah, we'll meet them in, in a little bit. Um, yeah. But so basically, like the Asgard have been kind of playing off the ghouls, like innate feudal nature and basically like bluffing that they have sort of way more power to stop the ghoul than they actually do right now, at least. So Jack is like, oh, awesome. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Thor's going to go chill on his ship for a little bit until the system lords are ready to start again. Here's a little device to call me when you're ready. And I do not remember 3D Thor in this episode. I do not remember there being. Like, I know, that was interesting, right? I do not remember this. And he looks bad. He does not look like Puppet Thor. Like, he's a completely different color than Puppet Thor. Like, I, I don't. Well, did you I know, just, it's 90s CGI. Was it so bad I just blocked it out of my memory? Like, Yes, I think so. I, I honestly do not remember there being, like, a 3D CGI Thor in this episode at yeah. all. Ever. They didn't even try to make him, like, move the same as Puppet Thor either. No. Oh, anyway. Um, so we're kind of, everybody's just, like, chilling in the conference room, waiting for the system lords to, like, be ready again. And Jack went and tried to apologize in person, but the ghoul wouldn't see him. So he had Daniel type up like an appropriately grovelly letter in Gould, which Jack signed. And they're all just kind of like, you know, what's going on? And Sam's like, what if they ask for hosts? Because they're they're going to want something from us in return for this, too. And Jack's like, well, obviously we're not doing that. That's a hard no. And so but then there's aid when Daniel comes in and says that the system lords are ready to resume negotiations. Mm-hmm. So. The summit resumes, and in exchange for allowing Earth into the Protected Planets Treaty, the Asgard will give the Gould access to the passage of Nylor, which I cannot find any information on what this might be, if it's, like, based on the real thing, if Nylor is, like, a part of space or something. I don't know. It seems to just be completely, entirely made up for the show. Fantastic. I know. Uh, You then mentions that according to the treaty, any planet inhabited by humans that is included in the treaty cannot be allowed to develop technologically to a place that they would be a threat to the Gould. And Nearty adds that it is up to the Gould to define to define such, you know, advancement. And Jack is like, I'm sorry, what do you want to do? Like this is I'm you you want to restrict our development as a people. Which did they not get a copy of the treaty to read before this all started? Like, how was this a surprise? Shouldn't they have been given the treaty before this, like, summit happened? You would think so. Well, okay, so they had four days to prepare. Yes. And so I'm going to go ahead and say that Jack didn't read it, even if they did have a copy. Daniel, I mean, that should have... Daniel probably would have. That should have been Daniel's job to get a copy of the treaty and read it. So, Daniel should have also been in the room. Yes. But he was not in the room. No, he Um, was not. But no. Also, the the copy of the treaty, like, looked very Earthian, didn't it? Like, it just... Yeah, I get... A government document. I guess did Tilk, like, did... Or, not Tilk, the Thor... Like, give us a digital copy that we just, like, printed it off from the, like, base printers and bound it in-house. it looks funny, yeah. Daniel totally should have read it. Yeah. And then briefed everybody. But Daniel probably also had other things happening. I mean, I'm sure Daniel did not. I'm sure Daniel got, like, four hours of sleep this whole week. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, still, I was just like, how did you not know that this was a thing? Mm Mm-hmm. Cronus then replies that the treaty also states that humans exist for the sole purpose of being hosts and slave to the gould. And Jack again is like, I'm sorry, what now? You, which again, you should know. But anyway. Uh, how, it makes you kind of wonder how this treaty actually started. 
or how it came about. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wonder about the origins of this treaty. Me too. Like, no. what, what was the line where the Asgard said, okay, I think we kind of need to do something now. Like, mm-hmm. where, what, wait, where's that line? Yeah. I, I mean, apparently it's been going on for a while because, like, Samiria is part of the Protected Planets Treaty, we know, um, mm-hmm. with Thor's hammer and everything. So, yeah. but yeah, it is very interesting. How did this all start? Yeah. So, the good news is that the system lords do agree to allow Earth into the treaty with one concession. That Earth surrenders their Stargate. Both of them. Which means they know they have to. <laughs> Which you can see when you first said that Earth surrenders their Stargate, Jack kind of looked like, but we have another one. And then you went both of them and he's like, shit. Yeah. You know what, though? I don't, okay, I don't remember if this is ever a storyline anywhere else because somehow I've forgotten, like, everything about the show. But I thought that would have been, like, the awesomest kind of storyline ever for a few episodes if they really did give it up. And then they just kind of go, like, okay, well, no more SGC. And then, you know, they show everybody going their separate ways and, like, trying to go back to real life and whatever. And then, oh, my God, something happens where they have to give it back. That would have been interesting. Wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, it it kind of happens in Continuum, the movie, like post-season 10, a little bit. Yeah, I only remember the fact that there was a movie Continuum. I do not remember anything about it. There's time travel involved, and there's, like, at one point, like, there's two Daniels and two Sams. Oh. (laughs) Time travel's weird. Yeah, this whole rewatch thing is a really good thing for me, because I do not remember any of this, except for, like, little bits and pieces. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we're doing it to refresh your memory. So Yay! But yeah, I totally think that would have been an awesome storyline when they actually did have to give it back. And then, I mean, it could have been, you know, like a four-episode arc, maybe. It could have been like a good, like, mid-season break. Like, the cliffhanger yeah. ends with, like, I guess we're shutting down. Yeah. Turn off the lights. Boom. Three-month break. Oh, my God! That would have been yes. a cliffhanger. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would have been good. And then you revisit everybody. Like, what have they been doing with their lives? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Can somebody make that happen, please? Can we get like yeah. a? Can we get a, a a an alternate timeline version where that did happen? Yes. Somebody go back in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> make another. Mm-hmm. That would have been good. I wonder. There's probably a fanfic about that out there. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. There's fanfic about everything. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So. Now the debate begins, though, about are are we going to give up the gate? Basically, it's we're we're at the point of we give up the Stargate or the Gould blow us to Kingdom Come. And Sam's like, well, it's not really that simple because there's like other things out there, like other than the Gould that are also bad and evil and horrible. And if we don't have the gate, we can't do anything about that and we can't protect against other things. So... It's this. It this seems is not doing okay before anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, <laughs> but it's not really as straightforward as like give up the gate or the ghoul destroy us. Like there's other things that we have to worry about too. So Jack, I guess, asks to be beamed up to talk to Thor because he's having like a really hard time making this decision, and it's really, really like big thing to like put on his shoulders. And Jack asks if the Asgard ever like talk between the lines and sort of not really say what they actually mean. And Thor has no idea what he's talking about, like at all, but he believes that Jack will make the right decision. So thanks 
Thor for no help at all. And that was a kind of funny scene. Yeah. Where Jack's like, yeah, hey, like, blink twice. No, yes, no, nod. No, what it? Ah, was it? No. Uh, so back in Hammond's office in the SGC, Sims hangs up the red phone, and apparently the terms of the treaty have been accepted. Mm-hmm. So Daniel is dispatched, like, go tell everyone that we're ready to resume and, you know, finalize everything when there is then a call over the intercom for security and medical to report to level 25 for some kind of emergency. And that's where Daniel was going. So he gets there first. And in Cronus's room, we see him and Tilk are both unconscious on the floor and bleeding. So something bad has happened. Mm-hmm. Sometime later in the infirmary, Dr. Fraser's there looking over them. And she's like, Tilk should be fine. He's got kind of a nasty head wound but junior's taking care of things he'll be okay cronus though unfortunately is not looking so good his injuries were severe enough that the host is just dying and that the symbiote can't heal him they're that severe that there's nothing the symbiote can do to fix what's wrong Mm -hmm. so fraser's doing her best but she doesn't know if they can save him And Sam then comes in with a copy of the security tape and she plays it for everybody and it shows Tilk in the hallway going into Cronus's room. But if you watch the tape, the door kind of closes funny behind Tilk, if you notice. Kind of does. Kind of does. Also, Cronus did not look so injured that he was dying. I know. I'm guessing it was much more internal injuries. Then, Which, holy crap, what did you do? Yeah. I mean, there could have been, his his torso could have been a huge, just big bruise. Cause, you know, he was covered. We only really saw his face, so. Oh, that's true. You know. All right. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but if you remember, the cameras were removed from inside the rooms. So we don't know what happened once Tilk got inside. And nobody from the SGC believes that Tilk would do something like this even with the rather personal history they have that he only told to Daniel and Daniel didn't tell anybody. And Jack's like, that would have been good to know before now. But you know, Daniel's like, I promised he told me in confidence and I had to like, you know, keep, keep the secret to like build the trust and stuff. So. Bros before hoes. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is, is Cronus the hoe or is Jack the hoe? (laughs) Who's the hoe in this scenario? They're all hoes. All the gold are hoes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so they decide to bring Mirti and you to the infirmary to sort of let them know what happened, but also to see if there's anything maybe that they can do to help Cronus. And they immediately like threaten to destroy all of Earth for this horrible crime against them. And Daniel brings out the the healing device that they have and asks if that can help. So Nirti takes it and scans Cronus with it. And I guess tries to heal him, but says his injuries are too severe and that he needs a sarcophagus to heal him. And so they're going to just like leave immediately so they can do that. So Jack then goes to consult with Thor again, who advises that they let the system lords leave. Because if they don't, then like all of the other system lords are going to come and attack them anyway. So Thor, unfortunately, has also been ordered to leave as there's nothing he can do without starting a larger war with the Gould and Earth in the way and everything. And as he says, it's not a perfect galaxy. So it kind of seems like the SGC is on its own to defend against a possible major incoming Gould attack. What sort of government system do you think the Asgard have? 
where Thor is like, I have I've been authorized to be here and or leave and or been called away. I think they operate on like a sort of a council scenario where there's, you know, a few who are in charge of everything and there's like sort of consensus and voting and, you know, majority rules kind of thing. Hmm. So. I think they disagree with each other a lot. I don't know how much that would happen. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Probably not until Earth came into the picture. (laughs) True. Earth kind of throws a wrench in the works of a lot of things. Oh, silly Earth. Yeah. So back in the summit room, uh, you and your two are like, let us go. We have to leave. You've broken all these rules. And Jack's like, well, we haven't broken all of them yet as armed guards come into the room. So we've now broken all the rules of the treaty. Like, the treaty is off. Broken all the rules. We're keeping the ghoul under armed guard at this point so they can't leave. Mm -hmm. So things are getting kind of serious if they weren't already. And um, up in Hammond's office slash the briefing room, uh, according to Sims, the president is getting ready to address the United Nations because we should probably start preparing for an imminent attack from the Gould. And we need to kind of like... they're doing something international. I know. We kind of need to let the world know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And Hammond then gets a call that Tilk is awake. Okay, great. Cool. Let's go find out what happened. So in the infirmary... Tilk tells everyone that Cronus actually like called for Tilk to come to his room. But when he got there, Cronus was like, I didn't ask you to be here. And before they could figure out what was going on, they were attacked by some unseen force. Uh, They suggest possibly a Ritu. And Tilk's like, I didn't sense the presence of a Ritu because we know that Jaffa can do that. And there's no other Gould other than Hathor, who's like actually for really real dead. Jack, don't worry about it. Nobody has any kind of stealth or, like, personal cloaking technology available to them that they know about. So, Tilk says he didn't attack Cronus. We believe him. You you and Nirti obviously don't. And Sam's like, let me try something. Uh, Apparently what she wants to try is using the healing device herself on Cronus. So, at first she can't really get it to work. And Jack's like... You know, there's a kind of like mental emotional component to this thing. And you know what Cronus did to Jolinar. And Sam's like, I got it. I know what Cronus did to Jolinar, but Jolinar doesn't control me. Just give me a second. So. Let me figure it out. It's okay. I got it. And she does got it because it works. And she heals Cronus. And she's like, you probably only healed me to save yourself. And they're like, yeah. Obviously, but also we saved you. And if we can prove that either Nirti or you had something to do with this, what is it to you? And Cronus is like, well, what do you want? So there's. I would have really liked to seen an outtake where somebody just comes up with something ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Lifetime supply of ice cream. Strokes with freaking laser beams. Yeah, it's just something. I really, I would love somebody's straight face just to be like my own personal spaceship. <laughs> can we get a Can we get a gold mothership? That'd be great. Named the SS O'Neill. Yes. Or I'd like just, you know something utterly, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So out in the hall, uh, Sam, Jack, Daniel, and Hammond are discussing how to proceed. And so they know Nirti lied about the device not being able to heal Cronus. 
And she doesn't know that we know that. And she doesn't know what else we know. We don't actually know anything else. But she doesn't know that we don't actually know anything else. So they're, like, going to go call her bluff, basically. They're going to use this one lie that Nirti told to get her to out herself as the one who attacked Cronus, I guess. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So back in the summit room, they start, you know, sort of going after Nirti and they say they called the Tokra who said that Nirti has been experimenting with phase shifting in order to help the battle, help in the battle against the Ritu she was like, lies. Why? No, I don't. And you was like, why would you do this and not share this technology with the system lords? And according to you, Nirti was the one who opposed the treaty because she wants Cronus's territory. There's more yelling. You starts to, like, strangle her when she, like, turns invisible. What? <laughs> the guards at the door get knocked down. One of their guns is grabbed and Jack pushes you to the floor and everybody, like, dives down as Nirti opens fire into the room. She then runs down a corridor where she's met by Sam with one of the TER devices and she's like, have you ever seen how one of these works? Because I'd really love to show you how it works. <laughs> Which, I do like that line. I know, me too. I was like, yeah, I like that, Sam. That Sam's cool. <laughs> but so Nirti just like puts down her gun and surrenders. And she's escorted back into the summit room where Jack tells you that Cronus supports the treaty without requiring Earth to give up the gate. And can they count on you's support as well? And they can. Yeah. A bit later, Cronus and you are escorting Nirti back through the gate. Before they step through the puddle, Cronus turns to let SG-1 know that while they won't attack Earth directly, if anyone is captured off-world, they will not be shown any mercy. And Jack's like, sounds great. <laughs> Makes things more interesting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> random facts. Or, yeah. like, random, absolutely random thought that just popped into my head. The yeah. summit room would have been a good room to have the ceremony that took place at the beginning of the episode. It was a storage room that they cleared out to make the summit room. Yeah, they could have made it into a permanent <laughs> conference room. Maybe it is now. Maybe they <laughs> kept it that way. Yes. Uh, but anyway, off the ghoul go, and Darren's like, oh, Nirti's gonna be in trouble. And Jack just feels so horrible about it. And then we yeah. get a shot of the Beliskner leaving Earth's orbit as the episode ends. Is it weird that they all entered and left on the same planet at the same time? I thought mean? that they would be coming from three different places. Oh, the system lords? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't really think about that. May, may, I mean, maybe the Gould have their own sort of pre-summit summit to try and figure out what they want, you know, mm -hmm. to sort of come to some agreement between the, the three of them. About what they want out of this whole thing. Mm. Possibly. Maybe. Maybe. So my 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 last just lingering question is, so did they call the Tok'ra? Like, did 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 we call the Tok'ra? And if not, how how did they jump to the whole, you are developing cloaking technology to fight the Ritu thing from, like, out of thin air. I'm just so confused by how... They got from Nirti led about being able to heal Cronus to Nirti's developing cloaking technology to fight the Ritu. 
<laughs> you're confused about a giant leap that somebody made and guessing something with a plot I device. I know. I know. I'm just finding, like, it feels like because this. That's like, never happened before. It almost feels like this needed to be like a two-parter episode because the episode's going and there's all this intrigue and all this stuff is happening. And then, oh, my God, there's like 10 minutes left. We have to wrap it all up right now. That's pretty much how all the episodes are. I know. Every single one of them. But in this one, it really, really bugged me. Oh, okay. This one bugged you in particular. This one in particular bothers me now that I'm rewatching it and like trying to analyze it for a podcast, not just watching it for funsies. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm guessing so they were like, okay, obviously, Nirchi's the one lying. Mm-hmm. Because she lied about this one thing. So she's probably the one can, that can go invisible. So how do we get her to admit that she can go invisible? What could we... I Because I'm guessing they didn't really call them. I'm guessing they totally okay. lied. Okay. But I'm not sure how they were like, oh, let's just say we crawled the Tok'ra and the Tok'ra totally told on you. Oh, we know what you're doing. I don't okay. I don't really know if that was like the best idea to come up with, but apparently it worked. Okie dokie. Mm. I guess it did work, yeah. So no. Okay. Um uh, memos for this week. Um well, so did we see if her cloaking device like was how did she do it? Was it something on her person? I don't know. Like you had her in the stranglehold and then she just went invisible and from the angle you couldn't really see much of near T. So I don't, I don't really know what the device was. Maybe it was like on a bracelet. I don't know, but yeah, no, we didn't see what the cloaking device was or where it's like how she started, turned it off and on. We, I don't think we saw Not that I noticed. I'm going to go with the memo of today is (laughs) read the treaty, read the documentation that's given to you <laughs> the fucking manual read yeah. the manual read the memos read all of the things memo treaty paperwork okay yeah. all right uh, have daniel in the room have daniel in the room okay all right just those two uh hmm Yep, that's it. That's all I'm going Okay, cool. Uh, Okay, so title this week, Fair Game. I thought there probably maybe, possibly a sort of like double meaning this week in that like the Gould aren't playing a fair game. Mm. But there's also sort of fair game in the sense of someone or something that can be sort of like criticized. Like, you know, sometimes your friends are like fair game for teasing and name calling and stuff because you're friends and you can do that kind of stuff to them. Mm-hmm. Which apparently the, so I then decided to look into like, like where did fair game come from? And it's actually apparently uh, hunting. Like there's specific criteria uh, that had to be met for animals to be considered fair game for hunting. Well, so. that definitely applies to this, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, um, man. Unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like some foreign titles? <gasps> yes. Okay. Uh, so in France, it was Diplomatie, which is diplomacy. Name. Uh, in Italy, it was Bersaglio Facile, which is easy target. I don't, I don't quite get that. I don't know about that one. Uh, 
Spanish, it was La Cumbre, which is the summit. Yeah. Uh, Czech, it translates as peace conference. Okay. I think Germany wins this week, though. Their title translates as the seeds of betrayal. Oh, my. Well, that gives a lot away, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yes. I really, I would love to know why all of these had to be updated to different titles. Yeah, like, who's responsible for that? Is it, like, somebody in that country is like, we don't like that. We're going to call it this other thing. I know. Who does that? Does anybody out there know? I don't know. Because I do find it interesting. Who Who is the person that updates episode titles of shows? Yeah. For different countries. Yep. Because, mm-hmm. like, people would really care, too. <laughs> like, if you were watching an episode of a foreign show and it made something, like, it was called something that really didn't make sense to you, you'd probably just be like, I'm sure it makes sense somewhere else. <laughs> like, why would you care? Yeah. I mean, maybe some of it is, like, you know, often titles in, in you know, America are quite idiomatic and idioms don't always really translate into foreign languages and stuff. True. So those I can do. So maybe fair game doesn't really mean anything anywhere else. Mm. So they just kind of go like, so what's this episode about? It's about a summit. Great summit. Although there is an episode (laughs) late, which that's now that, so there is an episode later called summit. So I'm going to be really interested to see what Spain with like Spanish speaking languages call that episode. If they call this episode summit, it'll be called other summit. (laughs) Second summit. Which, yeah, I don't know. The the space summit. They get, they get to that episode and that person's like, shit. I used this one. Damn it. Man. Oh, what did you think of anything else? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out when we get there. Yeah. It'll just be called, like, meeting. <laughs> <laughs> the Accords. Yes. And I'm just trying to think of synonyms for summit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I think that's all for the episode proper. Mm-hmm. For this week. Um, before we wrap up, we have an email from a listener. Yay! Uh... This is, we have a new listener who's going through our back catalog and they actually wrote in about the episode Brooke a Divide. Uh, for listeners out there, I don't know if you remember, um, but there was much discussion about uh, like why isn't the dark side a frozen tundra and why isn't the light side just a dry, completely arid desert kind of situation. Um, so this is from Harry. Hi, Harry. Thanks for finding Hello. So he has a headcanon that the episode takes place entirely on the very edge of the day-night divide where the temperatures are stable, kind of like Goldilocks and her porridge, not too hot, not too cold, which I think is interesting. So uh, he goes and say, like, this basically it's sort of an area where on the daytime side, like the sun is sort of always just above the horizon, kind of like Canada in the summer. And on the dark side, it's always sort of, like, just below the horizon. So, you know, kind of just before sunset and just after sunset, or just before sunrise and just after sunrise kind of mm-hmm. situation, which actually makes a lot of sense if I think about it that way. They're in the short, small sliver of inhabitable space. Yes. But the planet at large is kind of what we were talking about. 
Yeah, like if you if you travel much beyond the areas that we see, you would get into the horrid, hot, scorching desert and the frozen tundra wasteland kind of situation. Which is an interesting idea. Yes. Which, Can we talk about what happens to gravity then if the planet's permanently like that? Uh, Didn't we talked about that before and I forgot again. Possibly, and I've also forgotten because it was like a year ago. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. And I don't have my notes we're for that doing, episode on this computer we're doing anymore. We're terrible with these rewatches. We're forgetting it all over again. <laughs> yeah, I forget why the planet was, if it was like tidal locked somehow, I think. Hmm. But, yeah. But if you're interested in that kind of scenario, where like the planet's not rotating and there's this like very narrow band of, of habitable uh, land. Um, there's actually a book about that that I have read, which that reminded me of it. Uh, it was released in 2020 uh, by Andrew Hunter Murray, which if you're a fan of the QI podcast, no such thing as a fish, he's one of the elves. He wrote a book. It's called the last day. And what happens in the book is there is a giant meteor that passes quote unquote close to earth in, you know, sort of astronomical terms close and it passes in sort of the opposite direction of how the earth rotates and it gets just close enough that it actually slows down and eventually stops the earth's rotation. So we become like a land of light scenario where there's just this very narrow strip of like habitable land and there's like a sort of mystery thriller element to it. It's actually quite good. I would highly Ooh. recommend it. If That's this very interesting. Of, it is. And yeah. It's called the last day by Andrew Hunter Murray. Check it out. Hmm. If you're interested in this. So kind apparently of we don't last that long in that environment. Well, there are ways to survive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all you have to say about that. Yes. Well, I mean, it's called the last day because days don't exist anymore because the sun doesn't rise and doesn't set. So mm. there was, you know, like a last day, you know, mm. if you will, in the certain, the sense of sort of sunrise, sunset kind of thing. Ah, yes. Mm. So yeah, there's still people, people still live and things, but yeah. Yeah. Mm. Check it out. I'd recommend it. I guess that could work. I'm still thinking about broken divide and how the planet, maybe the planet <laughs> rotates in such a way that it still is rotating. It's just rotating like in an opposite direction where everything's kind of in the same place. I think it's like, if you think about earth and the moon, like the same side of the moon is always facing earth, but like the moon does rotate and earth does rotate, but because of how they rotate, the same side is always facing us. I think it's that kind of situation Mm -hmm. where, yeah, something, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm. It could work. We just don't know how. Science. Science, people. Science. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. Otherwise, we would just speculate about it and not really make much sense. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure someone out there listening that actually knows this stuff is like, oh, my God. If you're out there and you're listening, please write in and enlighten us. We like <laughs> emails. Stop That's us why. from our own stupidity right yes. now. <laughs> yes, please. Please help. Uh, but yeah but again thanks harry for writing in um you'll probably hear this in like six months from now since you're going through our back catalog Um, (laughs) that'll be a pleasant uh, surprise yeah so anyway yeah Yeah. so thanks um 
All right. Anything else from Fair Game? No. Okay. And, okay. So that'll do it for us for this week. Thank you all for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email as Harry did at woo. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we'll see you next time for one of my favorite episodes, Legacy.